Well, thank you. Um, good to be here again, Lawndale. Good to see y'all. Um, thanks for thanks for the invite back. It's uh, I was thinking about it on the on the drive over this morning. It's been a minute, so um, good to be back with y'all. Um, I know just from my own experience and from um, testimony from my fellow campus minister friends uh, around the state that y'all are no stranger to RUF, so I don't feel like I have to give an explanation of what RUF, what RUF is, but Bill did ask me just to share a, a brief um, update on ministry in, uh, in Cleveland and on campus at Delta State. I'm always curious, um, when I get to go around, how many folks went to Delta State? Do we have many? Okay, that's about, that's probably more than your average um, <laughs> group when I go to speak at a PCA church. Um, um, and maybe that's a, a good, in some way, kind of uh, uh, sharing of what our demographic is like. We don't get many um, PCA students. Um, there aren't many um, Delta State folks who, uh, who are in, come from PCA churches. Um, so our ministry, besides, you know, we've got one gray shuttles, um, who are glad to have at Delta State now. Um, but... Uh, um, our ministry is largely one of outreach. And it's pretty different. I went to Mississippi State, RUF there was huge. Um, you know, my buddies who were at Ole Miss and same thing. Um, it's very different, very different uh, ministry than what it looks like at some of the, many of the other, pretty much all the other campuses, maybe except for Jackson State in, um, in Mississippi. Um, and so that's a little bit of a window. We do a lot of outreach. This, two weekends ago, we went out to the Mississippi River, which was is amazing this time of year, this, or well, this time of its history as well, being historically low. Just looks, it looks like a whole nother world, just like a big desert out there. But anyway, do some do a lot of outreach type events. Um, and so that's where a lot of our, our ministry is focused. We Each week when uh, our MC stands up to welcome folks to REF on Tuesday nights, they say, we wanna be about the three C's, Christ, community, and cross-cultural love. Um, and by God's grace, we've continued to be a cross-cultural community representing um, the demographic of students on campus. Um, one other thing this semester that is not when I think of college ministry, again, I've been doing RUF for 13 years, which is crazy to say out loud. Um, when I think of college ministry, I don't often think about grief uh, or death. But we lost one of our student leaders earlier this semester in a tragic car accident. Um, Amy, she was amazing. She's probably one of the more gifted in, in evangelism students I've ever met. Um, never met a stranger. Just you could feel like when you're around her, you just can. I always I called her. I referred to her as a day changer. Like if you were around her and you were having a bad day, like that wasn't going to last long. <laughs> um, we lost Amy, and we've for many students, this has been the first time they've had to learn to grieve, um, especially someone their own age, especially a friend, especially a peer. Um, and so that that line and praise the the Lord, the Almighty, that we sang this morning really hit me different. Um, I hadn't sang that song in a while. Um, that fourth stanza that said, how often grief hath, hath not he brought thee relief, um, spreading his wings to o'ershade thee. Um, we found that to be true. Like in the midst of grief, in the midst of tears, in the midst of that, we've found that to be true, that God has been so good um, and so kind and so gracious to us. So um, we're still learning how to, how to walk together as a community in grief. Um, so anyway, thank you for, thanks for your support. You've been supporting RF Adult State longer than I've been there. So um, thankful for y'all. Um, thanks for 
session inviting me and giving me the opportunity to come, um, come share and worship with you this morning. So we're gonna be looking at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna read verses 15 through 30, really focusing in on verse 18 and on. I'm reading the first three, those first three verses, 15 through 17 for context. Um, because the, the passage that we're gonna look at Jesus and the rich young ruler stands in contrast to what he previously says in those three verses um, about children. And so for us, again, as, as Michael mentioned, we've got three boys, three kids are um, about to be 12, t- <clears throat> excuse me, 10 and seven. And every either, either Friday night or Saturday night in our house is always movie night. Um, sometimes it's both. <laughs> Um, make popcorn, one of the kids picks a movie we watch. Last week, it was uh, Monsters, Inc. And uh, we hadn't watched that one in a while. And as we were watching the, the opening of the movie, spoiler alert, sorry, one of, the, um, one of the ones who ends up being the villain starts the movie and what he says, he says that the most dangerous thing in the world is a human child. <laughs> um, and I mentioned that just because that's kind of what you get the feeling that the disciples are saying to Jesus in these first couple of verses we're gonna read. But Jesus actually goes on to explain, hey, there's actually two more things that are incredibly dangerous for you. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning. Um, but let's read together, or follow, you can follow along as I read uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 15. People were bringing infants to him, Jesus, so that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Jesus, however, invited them. Let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. I've kept all these from my youth, he said. When Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing, sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. After he heard this, he became extremely sad because he was very rich Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left what we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife, or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time an eternal life in the age to come. Amen. That's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you for who you are, that you're not a God who remains distant and far off, but you've actually come near to us in Jesus. You've come near to us in your spirit, um, 
you've come near to us in your word given to us. And so, Lord, I pray that, Lord, wherever we may find ourselves this morning, believing, doubting, struggling, thriving, or somewhere in between, I pray that you would meet us by your spirit and that you would point us to the grace and truth of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. I heard this story years ago um, from Paraguay that their pests are very different from the kind of pests that we have. Um, you know, typically pests that maybe come on your, for us, come on our porch and like trying to steal dog food and stuff like that. Uh, possums and raccoons. The Delta has some big old raccoons. <laughs> um, we have possums and raccoons. Paraguay has monkeys and monkeys that will come and try and steal food and, and kind of pillage the house. And so it became such a big uh, problem that they had to figure out how to get rid of the monkeys and they wanted to do it in a humane way. And so what they came up with was they would get coconuts and they put a little small hole in the top and a bigger hole in the bottom and they put food like in through the bottom of the coconut and then tie the coconut to a tree. And so the monkey would smell the food, go find it and stick his little hand in there and, and reach in and grab the food and when he tried to pull it out, you know, he got his hand in because it was thin. And then when he had a fist, he couldn't get it out. And so then the monkey would just hold on to the food and they could go and grab the monkey and the coconut and put it in a box and take it out to the jungle and let it go. Without the monkey ever realizing, it wanted the food so bad. Without it ever realizing, I could just let it go and be free. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here in this parable. That all this man, this rich young ruler, would have to do is to let go of his idolatry, of his own wealth and his own goodness. And he can be free in Jesus. And that's the life that, that Jesus is offering. The message, um, even for us this morning, um, not holding on to our wealth, our goodness, our earthly things so tightly that we pass up the opportunity of freedom in Christ. So a couple of things this morning. First, um, how Jesus exposes our hearts. Jesus exposes our hearts. The first couple of verses, uh, this rich young ruler asks Jesus, he says, how do I inherit eternal life? Um, and 13 years of college ministry, I've never gotten that question. That would be like a, a like a nice little softball, like tossed up there. How do I inherit eternal life? Oh, well, let me tell you. Never gotten that question. And so it's not, and it's not a bad question, but Jesus doesn't answer it the way we probably think. Like, man, Jesus should have said something different besides what he said. And he does that because we find elsewhere that it says Jesus knows how to perceive hearts, knows the thoughts of the hearts. He knew that there was something else behind it. You know, this rich young ruler calls Jesus good teacher. That wasn't a common phrase back then. That wasn't something that you called um, teachers regularly back then. And so Jesus presses into it and says, hey, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Jesus isn't denying that he's God. Um, he really wants to know what this guy thinks. And so he lists off the commandments um, and the answer to how do I inherit eternal life? He lists off five of the 10 commandments. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And other gospel, the other gospels record that after that he adds, do these and you will live. And, and here's the money shot, kind of where, where Jesus was going. 
um, and where the rich young ruler kind of revealed himself, he got excited and he said, hey, I've done all those. Like since my youth, since I was a kid, I've done all of those. Now, to be fair to him, like he may not, like he may have not done those on the surface level. He may not have actually ever killed someone. He may not have ever actually uh, committed um, the physical act of adultery. But Jesus is getting to the heart as Jesus does. Um, think about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus adds levels to um, the, these 10 commandments. He says, hey, uh, if you've been angry at someone in your heart, then you've actually murdered them. If you've lusted after someone with your eyes, then you've actually murdered them and so on. What Jesus is exposing is this guy's heart. What he truly worshiped was his own goodness. You know, this guy thought, man, I've, I've done all the external actions. I've kept all these. I've done them since I was a kid. I'm good. And Jesus says, nah, it's about your heart. You know, this still applies today, right? Whether it's the literal 10 commandments um, or maybe, you know, kind of more uh, spiritual discipline commandments, uh, Bible reading, church attendance, um, a right relationship with alcohol and other substances, or it could be political correctness. Um, that if you find yourself more on, quote, the right side, that you're, you know, it's more about upholding conservative values. If you find yourself more on the left side, it's about upholding more progressive values. Uh, whatever it is, it all boils down to the same thing, that we tend to trust in our own goodness. And this rich young ruler is doing that. And what Jesus is exposing to him is his own heart. You know, this guy didn't really believe that he needed Jesus because he thought he was already good enough. And because, our second thing that we're gonna get into, because he was rich. So Jesus exposes our hearts, but Jesus also invites us to follow him. Um, and this invitation actually exposed another of this guy's idols, his money, his possessions. Now to think about it, <clears throat> How did people think about money back then? How do they think about possessions? Um, similar to probably a lot of folks today, if you have money, then you must be doing something right. <laughs> you must be living right. And if you don't have money, then you must be doing something wrong. Think about Job's, uh, Job in the Old Testament, his, his friends <laughs> who came to him and said like, hey, Job, you've lost everything. Like disaster has struck, you've lost everything. You must have done something wrong. Just confess it, repent, and like maybe you'll get something back. Um, they thought that because he lost everything, he must have been acting up. Um, and the con converse side of that would be that they thought back in that day that if you have money, if you have like financial blessings from the Lord, um, then that was a tangible and visible sign that you were also blessed by God. And so what Jesus is about to say radically challenges their beliefs about money and about God. And he says, one thing you lack, <laughs> one thing you lack, sell everything you have and distribute it to the poor, then come and follow me. And they look at Jesus like, what? <laughs> um, nowhere, nowhere else does Jesus say to do that. He, he, he never says like, hey, you have to give away everything. Um, even with Zacchaeus, who had stolen tons of stuff from people. I mean, he says, never says like, hey, give away everything. Jesus doesn't do that because money, the Bible doesn't say that money in itself is a bad thing. 
Um, it's actually a good thing. We need it kind of to, to be image bearers of God with ruler and authority over his good creation. Um, the creation mandate that he's given us, money helps give dignity and authority. Money itself isn't bad. What the Bible goes on to say about it though is that the love of money is bad. Making money into an idol is bad. Worshiping money is bad. Since money itself isn't bad, it must be this guy's view of money that is. And to say it another way, having money isn't a bad thing. It's when money has you that it's a bad thing. I heard this story, a uh, story from history years ago, um, or well, the story was from like 600 years ago, about a duke in, Bel- in what is now Belgium. His name was Reynald III, and he was morbidly obese, and he got into an argument, kind of fight with his brother, who Edward, who led a revolt and overthrew his brother Reynald, who was duke at the time. <clears throat> and as was typically custom back then, he would have killed his brother so he could have sole possession of the throne, but he didn't do that. Instead, he imprisoned him. And what he did was a, a, a cruel and unusual punishment. He, he had a prison built around his brother, but it was a unique prison. It wasn't normal fare for the day. It was a prison that had a doorway with no door and windows with no bars. And he told his brother, hey, you can, you can leave anytime you want but his brother was too big to fit through any of the doors or windows. And what he also did on top of that was he brought every day, had like some of the finest, tastiest foods brought in for him to eat. Um, And again, told his brother like, hey, I'm not holding you here. You can leave whenever you want. All he would have had to do was lay off food for a while or maybe even just lay off like specific foods for a while, but he couldn't do it or wouldn't do it. And to be honest, he maybe didn't want to since he had his precious right there with him, right? Um, But after 10 years, his brother Edward died and so Reynold was actually released. But because of those 10 years, he had actually gotten more overweight um, and more unhealthy and he died a few months later. He couldn't just eat food and enjoy a meal. He didn't have food, food had him. Now, the Bible talks a lot about how money can get a hold of you. First Timothy 6 says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Um, the Puritan Richard Baxter has a few signs of like, hey, this, I thought this was really helpful. Does it have a hold of me? I um, mean, he says, he says, it lists a few things. He says, one, if you envy people who have more than you, that may be a sign that money has a hold on us. Two, if you worry about it often, and he even grants like, hey, there's seasons where you have like tax season, like Christmas time, stuff like that. There's seasons where you have to worry about it. But if it's like the the kind of underlying like theme of your life, worry about it, then it might have a hold on on us. Um, He says, if you always feel like you don't don't have enough, then it might have a hold on us. He says this one, he says, if you have a clear bias on who you're friends with based on how much they have or don't have, then it might have a hold on us. He says this one, uh, if you're a big spender or on the other end, like extremely cheap or frugal, um, 
that it might have a hold on us. He said, if we can't tithe, you know, the, the, the Old Testament puts kind of the baseline of giving at 10%. Jesus actually um, says like, hey, just radical generosity is the goal. But he says, if you can't, if you can't tithe, then that's, that's a sign that maybe, maybe it has a hold on us. And he grants also like, hey, there's, there's seasons, right? Unemployment strikes and there's seasons. Um, but if that's a regular thing, then he said it may have a hold on us. And we think about this guy who Jesus is talking to, the rich young ruler, this guy who idolizes his own obedience, his own law keeping, uh, his own wealth. And Jesus does like one of the most audacious things that we look at today and think like, did he really? He actually invites this guy to follow him. He invites, like he extends the invitation to this guy um, to come and follow him. Because what Jesus does, and this is our third one, Jesus promises even more. Um, the last couple of verses, starting in verse 24, it says this, seeing that he, the rich young ruler, became sad, Jesus said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? He replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Then Peter said, look, we have left all we had and followed you. So he said to them, truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left a house, wife or brothers or sisters, parents or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. <clears throat> Jesus sees the rich young ruler walk away, walk away sad and he said, hey, how hard is it, it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, what he's saying is if money has you, it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to, to enter the kingdom if money has you. And the disciples are astonished. Um, they're amazed, again, because what I mentioned earlier about how money is viewed, they see this guy who's rich, they're like, man, he must be blessed by God. And you gotta imagine, they're kind of also looking around at their, their church and they're thinking like, man, Jesus, this is, this is, less like a church and more like a small group. <laughs> There's like 12 of us and we all quit our jobs to follow you. <laughs> and we just like follow you around and we don't have any money. Like, doesn't it seem like somebody who has nearly an endless supply of money um, and like wants to know how to inherit eternal life, doesn't he seem like a prime candidate to join our you know, group of, of 12 apostles, disciples? <clears throat> Um, it would have been obvious for them because in their minds and in that culture, it was only the rich who were worthy to be saved. And now Jesus is saying, it's impossible. <laughs> and then Peter kind of gets it. I love Peter. He speaks his mind. Sometimes he lacks a filter, right? But he speaks his mind. And when Jesus says that about everyone leaving and to follow him, he's like, hey, we did that. Like you're talking about us, we did that. Uh, and Jesus says, yep, whoever leaves home, wife, brother, sister, parents, children will receive infinitely more. And again, that's another radical statement of Jesus. He's not saying like, hey, ditch your family <clears throat> and leave them. 
It's not what he's saying to go get divorced for the sake of the kingdom or anything like that. What he is saying and who he's speaking to back then was a very collectivistic culture. Um, Not in, we live in an individualistic culture, right? He was speaking to a collectivistic culture. In other words, you know, if you're talking to somebody in a collective, uh, collectivism culture and you asked, how are you doing? Their answer would be, hey, we're doing okay. Like me and my family are doing okay. And you, you might press him and say, like, no, I mean, how are, how are you doing? Like, how, how are you? And he's like, they'd be like, well, I just, I just told you. Like, we're, we, my family is okay. <laughs> and so there's no, there's like, you know who you are within a family unit. And Jesus is saying like, hey, I'm calling you to be a part of my family, um, to invite you in to my family into this mission. And your reward, as he says, will be many times more an eternal life. This is a Psalm 37 kind of thing where uh, the psalmist says that, that God gives you the desires of your heart. It doesn't mean that you're gonna get everything you want, that you know, everything on your Christmas wish list is gonna be there. It means that he changes your desires. You know, I think back to um, when I was a, before I was a Christian, I became a Christian through uh, the ministry of RUF at Mississippi State. Before I was a Christian, and even as a baby Christian, my idea of like a, a, a good Friday night was like going to the bar and having a wild time. My idea a couple of years later as a young adult of having a, a good time on a Friday night was like getting together with some friends and like playing board games and stuff like that. Now, like my idea of a good Friday night is like watching Monsters, Inc. with some popcorn <laughs> with the kids and being in bed by 9.30. <laughs> God changes your desires. God changes your desires. Um, you and I receiving many times more in this life, what he means by that is we receive Jesus. We receive Jesus. Um, he says eternal life in the age to come. Like if you are in Christ, you know, that's the most common way that the New Testament talks about, it doesn't use the word Christian uh, off like two or three times. I can't remember exactly, but two or three times. The most common way it talks about you being a Christian is it says that you are in Christ. And the reality is that if you are in Christ, your eternal life with Jesus has already started. You're already partaking, you're already living it. Now your eternal life has already begun because of the great lengths that Jesus has, brought, has, has gone to in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, um, his resurrection, his ascension, and his eventual return, like he's gone to such great lengths to bring us into his family that you and I are receiving many more times in this life and in the age to come. So we can do what the the monkey wouldn't do. We can do what the rich young ruler wouldn't do. We can let go of our own perceived goodness We can let go of our own accrued possessions. We can give up the the, I gotta get mine mentality um, and practice radical generosity and love of neighbor because that's what God in Christ has done for you, for me. I think it was St. Augustine, the great African church father who said, we worship a savior who is crucified with his hands open, with his hands empty. He's given it all. He's given it all for you. Amen. Let's pray together.